Hello and welcome to Voices of Recovery, a podcast about life after addiction from Serenity Lane. I'm your host, Erica Towie. This is a special mini-pod we put together as a bonus episode. Normally, we speak to one alumni at a time, but for this mini-episode, we invited two alumni. For those who have been following the podcast this season, the first voice will be familiar. My name is Larry. I'm an alcoholic. October 5th, 1987. Larry shared his journey from cross-country, micro-bus-driving hippie to 31 years sober in Episode 3, which, if you haven't listened yet, is a great one. Larry is joined by Seth Yu, who will also be featured later this season. Both men have amazing stories. In today's mini-episode, we're talking with them to get two very different perspectives on some shared experiences of recovery. First, we made some introductions. I'm just a garden variety drug, Seth. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know when she said something like, "Oh, you, you might." not have anything profound to say. You know, sometimes I feel like I never have anything profound to say, but, you know, I, I'm just here as a, you know, just a, like I say, garden variety drunk that, that's lucky enough to show up here. And so I don't think, if I were to say anything, it's not to look at us guys. Sometimes I look at you guys with a month or six months and it's so raw and so good and you're really working the program and I'm like jealous. I think, oh, that's, that's, that's such a great place to be. Seth you. July 5th, 2015. I started drinking a lot. Um, one of my good friends, his cousin, had got us alcohol, and it was the first time I had drink since I had stole those sips off my mom's glasses, and that was when I was about 16 or 17, and I took a shot of whiskey. I was like, that's terrible. So I chased it with Malibu rum, and I was like, that's better. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, the first night I drank, I ended up blacking out and getting kicked out of his cousin's house for getting too rowdy. Because uh, I'm, I'm a dumb drunk, um, you know, I'll, I'll just make a mess of things and throw up everywhere. They shared a little about what early sobriety was like. Probably about six months into living in Oxford, I was like really gung-ho about recovery for the first month. And then I was just like, eh, I'm not going to get up and take the bus to meetings anymore. And then I developed like a resentment against AA. Um, and I think that was because I felt guilty for not doing it because my resentments really were not founded. Um, and uh, I chaired a meeting and I was just like, this is all crap. Like, <laughs> none of you <laughs> none of you know what you're talking about. And um, it was a couple weeks later, I was just like, I'm really miserable. Maybe I should try this. And, um, you know, I reached that willingness again. And then uh, I started actually doing step work for the first time. Um, and uh, at that point, you know, I just immediately felt a shift in 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 me, you know, like I wasn't, I was still angry and depressed, but like not, not as much as I was yesterday, you know, and uh, I was just like, oh, maybe there's something to it. So there were some, certainly some milestones in my recovery. And one came at about, um, well, one came at about a month when I went to my first meeting. I wasn't really thinking about staying sober. I was doing it for some request from uh, the mother of my children. And at my first AA meeting, uh, someone took a year coin, and there was some um, bead of hope that came through to me that I never really 
imagine that anyone could stay sober for a year, for a month, let alone a year. And I thought, wow, maybe I can do this. Maybe, maybe I can do that. So that was one of the early milestones of my, if you call it a milestone at a month, or less than a month probably. At this point, Seth had a question for Larry. What, like, baffles me about the 30 years is, like, you know, even today, um, with a couple years, there's days where I'm just like, I could just go to a dispensary and get really high and no one would even say anything about it, you know? Like, no one would know, but, like, ultimately I would know. So just, like, those still come up, you know? And it's just, like, my biggest, like, wonder is, like, is that still a struggle at 30 years or is that? That's a good question. How It's not a struggle, but the thought doesn't go through my mind as well 30 31 years actually into this you know i'm i i, I you can't help but uh you go through the the eugene weekly and you'll see the the full page page pot ads and you go wow that was nothing like like i knew about her you walk into the beer stein and you see a thousand different kinds of beer i'm going wow that's nothing like i ever experienced and then I remember I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. <laughs> and so I can be amazed with it without uh, – attempted isn't even the word because I I've, I've just know that I'm not going to try it. But I am amazed at it for sure. And it does go through my mind sometimes with the thought of, gosh, I wish I could try that. But I can't. And it's not with a sadness or a, um, or a resentment. It's just I know it's not uh, in, in the cards for me. Mm-hmm. If I want to continue to have the amazing life I've, I've got. Because mm-hmm. I know I could use. It'd be easy to pick up a drink. It'd be obviously easy to go, you know, get a joint. And I know I could do that. I just don't know if I... I couldn't get 31 years again. That would make me 98 years old. And I'm not willing to, uh, to give up what I've got. That's for sure. We discussed priorities. In recovery speak, there is a term for when a person relapses. It's called a slip. As in the acronym, sobriety loses its priority. But how is a person supposed to juggle all of the other important things? just sort of drives the point home. I've heard it, um, you know, this uh, phrase, whatever you want to call it, multiple times throughout multiple meetings and multiple recovery things is everything you put in front of your recovery when you lose your recovery are the first things you're going to lose, you know. And it's uh, that's, that's like super important because it's just, I don't know, I, I love my family a lot. And, uh, you know, it's the first sense of home I've really had ever Um so I don't want to lose that. So I got to remember to, you know, stay in recovery so I don't lose that. So I guess it just really reiterates what I already know. It's nice to give people like us reminders, people like me. Yeah. Um, we got good forgetters. Yeah. <laughs> and so. what got us to this point, sometimes we think, oh, I got this. I got this dick. I can do it. And, and it's not always like that wasn't for me. Yeah. For the amount of times I think I got this, I just really don't got this. Yeah, you know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> My biggest mistake was was forgetting that. It uh, didn't lead to, to me using, uh, but it did lead to some big challenges in relationships. 
uh, in a relationship and uh, led me back, ultimately led me back to the program and working the steps. So not forgetting that, and you already kind of expressed that that happened to you at some point. And, and come, for people like us, I, I still do this 31 years later because it works for me. I got married and just put my marriage and my, my kids in front of my sobriety, and that ended up having fatal relationship consequences, fatal in that, that we, we did divorce, and then I was left uh, without a higher power and without a program, and that's when, when I, I dove back in, and that was at about year 17 or so. They also shared with us what recovery means for them today. Humbling, but also, like, pride-building. Because, like, you know, I the things that I'm arrogant on in ways of, like, I know God's not there in my atheist, I'm smarter than everyone ideas, um, those get shattered and bring me to a point of humility. But I also become a person worth loving um, by someone else or myself, uh, first and foremost. And in that sense, it helps me build pride, so... I guess humbling but prideful is the sentence. I guess it just means life. Uh, I don't think I'd be here without it. And if I was, I would not be uh, maybe life and happiness. I, ser- I don't think I wasn't happy when I got here. Uh, I think it's brought me more than, not more than I deserved, but more than I would have ever had if I hadn't showed up at the door of AA. Seth, if you're going to meetings, if you've got a sponsor, if you are working with others, if you are praying, if you're meditating, no matter how, you know, not judging yourself for how much prayer, how much meditation, um, if you're doing the simple suggestions, which to me are actually more than suggestions, they're, um, that, that the book tells us to do, then you're in the right direction. My biggest mistake was, was forgetting that. While Larry has put together quite a few 24 hours, he reminded us that it's people like Seth who inspire him to keep working his program of recovery. I keep coming back to show that it works and that uh, you don't have to be so smart or, or it's so should never, I wouldn't want to be looked at. And sometimes I hear about it. I don't want to be looked at as, you know, uh, you know, you know, old-timer knows everything. I don't. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Voices of Recovery. Thank you to our guests, Seth Yu and Larry S. Our theme music was composed by Sammy Gallo. Recording and editing by Thaddeus Moore at Sprout City Studios. Written by Monique Danziger. And hosted by me, Erica Toey. If you liked the episode, please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you'd like to learn more about our alumni program or be a guest on the podcast, 
go to serenitylane.org forward slash alumni. See you next time.